Turn in your Bibles to 1 John. I'm going to read the text and pray that God will illuminate it. High attendance Sunday in the nursery. 1 John chapter 4. Our focus will be verse 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist to which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world, and the world hears them. We are from God. No one knows God. No one who knows God hears us. The one who is not from us does not hear us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that you as a holy, as the holy, infinite, gracious God, may by your Holy Spirit give us this morning a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened, that we may know the hope to which Christ has called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of His power for those who believe. It is in His name I ask this on behalf of us all. In Jesus Christ, amen. This passage's context is on testing the Spirit. And what I want you to understand here is it's a very simple thing. He who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. The way that this passage came to my mind is through 51 years of a struggle that this last week was broken. And I may write about it after most of you are gone, but it has has been a struggle for which you you have seen me suffering with, but it has been a struggle nonetheless that has has taken me almost to the end. The reason is because this is the truth. He who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. And what Paul is, or rather what John is talking about in this passage is he's exhorting the believers, don't believe everything you hear. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit but test to see whether they're from God. People say this to me, and they say, well, let me, let me use it in a different illustration. I did this to my father. I said, Dad, God's telling me you're supposed to do this. And my father responded, well, why didn't he tell me? Don't you have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And notice that he says in here, he says, Dear friends, beloved, this is my agapetoi, my beloved ones, my, my dear ones, It's something that he's absolutely in love with them. And he says, there are many false prophets who have gone out of the world. Now let me tell you where they've gone out from. They've gone out from the church. 
They've gone out from that which they have once heard. His concern is not the philosophers. John's concern is not the wisdom of the age. His concern is that there are reputable people that have left and gone their own path because they are in search of their own way and finding their own meaning. And they're called secessionists, not cessationists. Secessionists, like when the United States had the Civil War. It was the Union versus the secesh, okay? Or as I like to call it, the, un the War of Northern Aggression. But nonetheless, um, I want you to hear me is that the false spirits... And these false prophets, they're not, they're not coming out of Islam. They're not coming out of Judaism. They're not coming out of Hinduism. They're not coming out of Buddhism. They're not coming out of secular humanism. They're not coming out of the woke culture and the LGBTQHIGVTRX+. They're not coming from that place. He is telling them specifically it, are, it is those who have been a part of the church that have left and have become false prophets. This is why I have been telling you the last several weeks, there are more church buildings going up than there are people becoming church members. People are, it's a diaspora of the people who are named Christians going about trying to find that which will speak to them. Well, what do you want? Do you want something that's going to help you plow your field better? Do you think a guy with a Ph.D. in theology knows anything about plowing a field? Are you going to truly trust me for that, that I can do that? I remember I plowed a field uh, in Oklahoma for my dear friend, Arthur Ochsner, and he was planting cotton. I didn't know that. He just said, plow the field, and he cut the first thing and went around the row, the fence row, because I, I think the thing was 40 feet wide on a 12-wheeled 12, 12 tractor. Case in, no, it was a John Deere. And uh, he, they went around the fence road two times, and then they cut a diagonally across the field, and I plowed it. It's supposed to take me all day. I did it before lunch. And the only thing is, I didn't just do it before lunch, but they had plowed it diagonally. I straightened it up. I had no idea what that meant, but they explained it to me. I never got to drive a tractor after that. And... Uh, uh, burned a tank of gas too because I was supposed to do it in B2 and I did it in C4. And uh, it, that's not what the church is about. How to be a better lawyer, how to be a better this or that. The church exists to spiritually teach people how to live their life in such a way to give off a light that those around you say, what is this hope that's within you? And to prepare you for glory. I love the fact I can't do it here I, and I don't want to do it here because I'm not a Presbyterian. But I told Care Grace where she needed to go to church last week. And they did. They went to a church that was founded very much the same way this church was that's now part of the Presbyterian Church of America. And their bulletin is 16 pages. It has all of the music. So, I mean, I'm thinking we have a printer that can do that. I can put Baptist hymnal songs in there like Victory and Jesus. And, and things like that. I can do all of that. But every word that was said was a participation of the congregation. They knew what was going to happen. They knew where, where to stand, where to sit. And, it was, and you say it's too scripted. It can't be scripted. It, probably, it takes me an hour to put this service together. And I mean, it, and Rick comes up here when I'm doing it. He knows what's going on. I'm back there worshiping the Lord. He, he hadn't come back there and joined me 
to do it, he brings me a cup of coffee, but he knows. And he caught me this morning changing into my suit, singing Abide With Me. It, it, it takes something to say, okay, how do you feed the people of God? And here's what Care Grace told me. She, Dad, Dad, you prepared us for that service. And I said, Care Grace, you couldn't have said anything better because I'm preparing you for the service in heaven to worship God in spirit and in truth. They even did something that I thought was amazing. They bring the families up. They'll bring a family up each week and stand before the church and that family will express something from the catechism or will express some great story of the faith and speak. They don't speak the Bible. They don't speak with authority. But they speak as a testimony to God's work. And there's only 200 people in that place. Beautiful building. Beautiful building. But 200 people. And I thought that's the deal, is to prepare us. But you see, whenever you get this idea, say, no, I want smoke machine. We almost bought a smoke machine for the journey. We were. We're going to buy it. It's when we hung the lights from the ceiling. We almost bought a smoke machine. All we needed was one disco ball, and we'd have been it. But God stopped us because He had a plan. But He let us go there to teach us to be merciful too. Because I, although, although there are those who I can truly disagree with, they are still my brothers and sisters in Christ because we agree on the essentials. Let me, under, let me help you understand this, but the majority of things... For example, the church in Sherman that is just painting itself red, white, and blue, and orange, and green, and yellow, it is appealing to something that is not a part of the kingdom of God. I lost a man at a Bible study years ago, a very good man, uh, at the private Bible study I did on Fridays because I told him I believe homosexuals go to heaven. He said homosexuals can't go to heaven. I said, so the basis of going to heaven is whether or not you're homosexual or is it based on Jesus Christ? He said, well, God would never... I said, what? God would not what? Let me tell you something God has never done yet. He's never given us what we deserve. Now, when I watched the president this last week, President Biden, my president, and I would be glad to shake his hand, even though he wouldn't remember it, to watch him stumble and fall at the Air Force Academy at graduation, broke my heart because that's the president of the United States. That's the leader of the free world. And he is not going to do any better because of my cursing him, but for my praying. I almost wrote a note to my neighbor who flies the Texas flag among the stars and bars. And it, there's something within me this last week just worked up in me. The flag used to be black. And I don't think that's right anyway, but I can say that. But he was flying the Texas flag above the American flag. That is inappropriate. And I'll tell you why. Last night going to Brahms, there was a man standing at the counter, and he was waiting for his food, and he had a square army hat, Vietnam veteran with all of these decorations on it, and he looked mean, and he was standing there. I had to reach in my pocket and take a chill pill. I didn't know what the, I thought his, I thought his cane was loaded. And everybody was coming up in order, and he was sitting there like this, and I, I was literally having anxiety attack. And I got up there and ordered, and he looked at me, and I saw a veteran thing, Vietnam. I said, thank you for your service, sir. He said, thank you. And he said, thank you for your service. I said, what's that? He said, thanking me. I said, what did you do in the service? He said, I was a sniper. I said, were you in Vietnam? He said, yeah, I took three, but I took out 504. I thought, I'm glad I took a chill pill. <laughs> and he went over and he sat down and he dropped his milkshake and I got up and I, he just moved here from Missouri. 
Just moved here from Missouri. His family's here. I'm going to try to get him in here, though. I told him directions to the Pentecostal church because that's where he wanted to go. So I told him how to get there. And uh, uh, he dropped his milkshake. I went and got him a new spoon and cleaned it up because I want to sit down and tell him this story about optimism. There was a very famous, well, the second ace in World War II the second best ace in World War II was a German Luftwaffe pilot that shot down 302 aircraft. <clears throat> and after the war and his denazification, he went to Britain and worked for the Hawker Ridley Company that built the, the Harrier jet, which now Americans build the Harrier jets, called the AV-8B. But anyway, he was the test pilot for the Harrier jet. When it started, it's the most complicated airplane to fly. And uh, he takes it up the first time, and he crashes it. And they go and they get him out of the cockpit, and he's still alive. He's smoking, but he's alive. And the words that come out of his mouth, remember, he's shot down 302 airplanes already. He goes, 303. He said, 303. <laughs> because he didn't take himself too seriously. But we're living in a time, I'm going to tell you something, I, I want to say this to you with love. Whatever our government is doing has nothing to do with that flag. That flag still stood at Fort Sumter. And I've seen it. Fly your flag and fly it proudly. Don't let it be a symbol of what all of us are going to think of you. Let it be a symbol of what you think of still the dream that's in this country. And I'm going to tell you something. As long as there is a man to stand and preach the gospel truthfully, not some secessionist, a man to preach the truth, we will survive. Go buy a new flag. I just bought a new flag the other day. Make sure it's made in America too. Go buy a new flag and fly it. Because like that man who was shot, by the way, was shot three times by friendly fire. His own snipers obviously weren't very good. But folks, be proud of your country. Because you can pray for it. Because I see if you continue to be upset about it, you don't have the option like folks that get upset in church and decide to move somewhere else. You can't secede because there's nowhere you can go that has anything like we have from one shining sea to another. We are blessed beyond measure and we must be a people who do not trod underfoot the gospel of Christ. When the country was founded, it was not founded as a church. It was founded as a country. And because there were deists and lost men writing the Constitution, it is evident that the Constitution is flawed. But it's not anywhere as flawed to, as, to the degree that it needs to be tossed. What has happened is we have governed our nation by English law instead of by the Constitution. That is, is lawyer-speak for saying precedent. But the reality of it is, I give you that long illustration to show you this is what secessionism looks like. Not cessationism, 
secessionism, when you leave the original intent. It is out of those who have left the original intent of the church that the Bible says in 1 John are not only false prophets, they have become antichrists. And he says in the text, and they are amongst us. How can you recognize the Spirit of God? Well, because many false prophets have gone into the world. And then he says in verses 2 and 3, he says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. What was taking place in that time is people were saying, Jesus Christ is not really from God. He's just some big kind of hero. And so in verse 3, continuous says, this is the spirit of Antichrist. In other words, listen to me, it is an Antichrist spirit to depart from the truth of what we were taught with the gospel. Our problem, my problem particularly, is I was never taught the truth. I was taught the tradition. The main thing I can remember growing up in Andrews, besides having a fine pastor that could not preach himself out of a paper bag, a very caring man, but he couldn't preach worth a flip. What I do remember is he preached a sermon once, don't ask why, ask why not. And the other thing I remember is that in our church we spelled clap, S-I-N. You couldn't amen, you couldn't clap. Today they don't even have a pulpit in that church. I've asked for it when I buried Jack. We went in, Cara Grace and Truett can testify, we went into First Baptist Andrews and I went in the sanctuary getting ready to do that. I said, where is the pulpit? And the sound person said, that thing hadn't been gotten out in years. I said, well, it's getting out. Where is it? And we went and dusted it off and put it up and delivered my first sermon from it. And I told the church while I was preaching that knew little James Truett, that now I was in my robe and everything like that. I wanted him to know that I'm a clergyman. I want this. And the woman that bought it, Pam Fisher, she said, JT, it's got your name on it. And if we get it, it'll be our pulpit. The reality of it is, folks, though, you, you pay a price down the line. We talk about the debt, the national debt. You and I will never see its effect in our lifetime. But you will see, you are seeing the effect in the lifetime of the nation since the church in the 70s abandoned orthodoxy. And that's why you see all the hatred amongst people. Look what he says in verse 4. You, dear children, are of God and have overcome these false spirits. The author recognizes, listen, here's the sermon. The author recognizes the readers have overcome them, not by their unaided efforts. Listen to me. What I overcame and have overcome in my life has not been an unaided effort. Has not been an unaided effort. But it is because of the one who is greater in you than the one that's in the world. So I want to teach you about this. Number one, write this down. I want to encourage you about this. Whatever you're facing, maybe it is between your ears. It's between your ears. It's in your mind. There's a difference between mental health and mental illness. Mental health, everybody's a little bit crazy. Mental illness is when the chemicals don't work right and things don't happen. Those aren't choices you get to make anymore. That's like playing on a baseball team with one foot on your shoe. You don't have a with one shoe on your foot. Excuse me. Yeah, that's right. That's like, that's right. You needed to laugh. It's like playing baseball and trying to run the bases with one shoe. You're not on a level playing field. That's mental illness. Mental health is when behavior has, in, in, your constant, consistent behavior has jaundiced the way you are. And the answer to it is the word. 
of comfort. So let me give you these truths. Number one, we are God's children through Christ. Write it down. We are God's children through Christ. He says right here, you are from God, little children. Verse 6, he says, we are from God. And the one who knows God hears us. What's he saying? Here's the orthodox minister. Here's the apostle. Here's the word of Christ. The one who is not from God does not hear us. One of the things that gives me comfort, and, it, and it, it is the most, it's one of the most painful things, that when somebody will leave a church for any other reason than God has called them to leave, I resort back to the passage here in 1 John. It says, they were not of us or they would have stayed with us. It doesn't mean that I'm saying they're not a believer. But I'm going to tell you this. The reality of it is, is that we hear, those of us that know God here know what God says. We do not have to create something else. And so here's this. According to 1 John, believers are not only from God, but they are indwelled by God. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. Believers are not only from God, these children, but they are indwelled by God. Verse 12 says, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God, listen, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Love does not mean that I love you so much I'm going to tell you the truth you don't want to hear. Love means I'm going to love you in spite of the love you don't deserve. I'm going to love you in spite of no matter what because God has loved me and my sin is greater against Him than my sin against you. I'm going to love Him. No one has beheld Him at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. He has given us of His Spirit. And verse 14, we have... We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. That is what I believe. That's why I went and met a man I will only meet in glory. Why offer to do his funeral, if it must be, to comfort his mother, but to give him peace. That's why. To bear witness that Christ has come into the world to be its Savior. That is the message we need to remind each other that are the redeemed as well. That He's a Savior. That even in the midst of your pity parties or your anger or your sickness or your bad health or your bad breath, regardless, Jesus Christ came to save us too. He saved us, is saving us, and will save us. Amen? So here's that. That's of one thing. We are God's children through Christ. Number two, we are indwelt by the greatest. We are indwelt by the greatest. Look what it says in verse 4. We have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than He is in the world. Now this He here is speaking of the pneuma, the Holy Spirit. We are indwelled by Him. The Spirit of God indwells the believer is great, listen, is greater than the Spirit of the Antichrist which operates in the secessionists. It is not the Holy Spirit that leads people to go out to another church to have a freedom of worship that is not confined to the conform, that is not conformed to the confines of Scripture. We want to go have church at 3 o'clock on the lake where we can have interpretive dance, gather together, say a prayer, and have a meal. I had a group in my church in Lawton leave and do that. 
I said, so you're telling me you're leaving the church because you want to go have lunch together and have a prayer and a glass of wine and swim the pool and you're going to have a church? Yes. I said, see ya. And I loved them. And it hurt. What foolishness must I have preached that they were so dead? But the reality is, I didn't preach foolishness. The word I was a fool preaching the Bible like I still am. But I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen over and over again. And there are those out there that will profit off of that. Whole denominations bent on making sure that you have a certain, certain experience and when you give enough money, you got it. Whole denominations built where the more money you got, you get to make the rules. The reality of it is, is the spirit who indwells the believer is greater than the spirit of the Antichrist that operates in the secessionist. You know what that means to me? The spirit that is in me and the spirit that is in you is greater than any political party, is any greater than any communist country, is greater than anything on earth. For what can man do to the body but kill it? We should fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. I hear these things about people are all worried about the Chinese. Look at me. They will not come fight us for a bowl of rice. They are coming here to be educated and get free. They will lay down their arms. The Russians were filmed the other day trying to attack the Ukrainians, laying down and begging not to be shot. Deserting because they are being deserted back home. Regardless of what it looks like and all the complexities of all of that, the only people ever in the history of mankind that has fought not to conquest has been a United States serviceman or servicewoman. They will die for your freedom like Christ will die for your soul. And there's not a Brit, there's not a German, there's not a Frenchman, there's not an Italian, Australians possibly, that would ever do such a thing. And I want you to know something. God knows that. Because He uses us to go into places like Iraq so that people that can't get food can get food. The, the motivation may be to steal the oil. It may also be to prop up the Kurds who are Persian Christians. Who knows what it is? I'm just going to tell you this. We don't have the right as the people of God to depart from the truths of God. If you want to understand what war is, come up here one day, I'll teach you just war doctrine. You say the Bible talks about that? Yeah, it does. The Bible talks about what you do if somebody comes into your home and, and, in the middle of the night. It teaches you what to do about that. shows you your responsibility before God. The Spirit indwells in us and it gives us a certainty. Listen, write it down. The Spirit, we are indwelled by the greatest and that should give you a certainty that come what may, when I have done all to do to stand, I will keep on standing. The author speaks of the spirit of Antichrist operating in the secessionists as the one who is in the world. When you go into a church and you cannot tell the difference between the church and the world, you're in trouble. You say, well, James, I don't like doing all this. You won't find this in the world anywhere. And you can't find a chapter, a verse, or a book that says this is wrong. Whereas I can show you Isaiah 7 says this is the way it's to be done. The reality comes down to this. The sessionists, listen, they are the ones who have gone out of the community of believers. So write this down. 
Who is the Antichrist? He has gone out of the community of believers. What is the community of the believers? That is a great community of Scripture-taught, Scripture-formed Christians whose chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. They are the ones. So you don't have to worry about the Antichrist being the Pope. You don't have to worry about it being Tesla, the guy that owns it, Bezos, or Bill Gates. You don't have to worry about the Antichrist coming from the Wuhan lab. You don't have to worry about that. The Antichrist is going to come from leaving the community of faith. And they are amongst us now because they are delivering people to worship their flesh, not worship God in spirit and truth. And we're surrounded by it. We're surrounded by it. And they have joined that part. Listen, I'm going to have you look at first. I'm going to have you go back to John in a minute. The cessationists having gone out from the community believers are now part of the world. And listen to me, listen to me. The evidence is this. They have joined that community, that part of the world, that part of humanity, ready? Which hates the author of our community. They hate the author of our community. I'm going to give you a very subtle way to hear its whisper. You're just of your mind. You're a word man instead of a spirit man. That's how it's whispered. That's where it starts. It is a phrase like that that led the journey to go the path we took for a period of time. Because somebody said to me, you're just all of your mind and a word man. You need to trust and be a power-filled spirit man. God in His grace rescued us. But we went there to tell the story. Whole hog. Kara Kelly was, or Truett was saying the other day, or maybe it was Kara Grace or Kelly, well, a family member, was saying, yeah, we went through the time where you had to wear your shirts and your skinny pants, which they don't make for me. Those are just pants that are too small. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you say things like that, I, I mean, some of you are going to say it to me today anyway because you just you don't hear. The reality of it is you got more to worry about yourself than me worrying about how much I use my brain and my mind to study, and you're going to see the benefit of my mind here in this next part for you because I want to show you something. I'm going to teach you, and this has something to do with what happened with John, okay? And I'm working on some resources for you. I want to talk to you about it first. Um, uh, I want to show you how the Spirit is used in John and in 1 John. I want to show you this. I want you to see this. We're indwelled by the greatest. I want to show you very quickly the purpose of the Holy Spirit as revealed by the author in the fourth gospel and in 1 John chapter 1. Well, actually, 1 John. So I want you to see this. They have joined humanity which hates the author of the community and consequently when you hate the author of the community which is Christ and His Word you have become under the control of the evil one. And this text says it's an antichrist. So let me tell you 
about the roles of the Spirit briefly. I want to speak on the roles of the Spirit briefly in the fourth gospel and in this first John. Regarding the fourth gospel, it is very clear. Listen to this. John wrote the gospel of John, and, it, and the fourth gospel makes it very clear. In John verses, chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, those who are born from above are born by the mysterious work of the Spirit, and they will see and enter the kingdom of God. That's John 3, 5 through 8. Number two, the words of Jesus, which are spirit and life, mediate the birth from above. The words of Jesus, which are spirit and life, mediate the birth from above. That's John 6, 63. Jesus then offers in John chapter 4, living water, which wells up to eternal life within those who believe. John chapter 4, 13 through 14 And He calls these rivers of living water that shall flow from within the believer. Rivers of living water that will flow from within the believer. John 7, 37-39. Ladies and gentlemen, those two metaphors, the living water and that which flows within the believer, are metaphors that refer to the effect of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. That's what John introduces. It's what the Spirit does that rivers and streams of... What does water do? It gives life. It quenches thirst. Right? It brings forth fruitfulness. Then Jesus speaking to to the Samaritan woman foreshadowed a time when the people would worship God. How? One, in spirit. Write it down. They would worship God in spirit. Listen to this. Jesus is he's telling this story in John chapter 4, verses 21 and 23 with the Samaritan woman. He says, you will worship God in spirit. There's not going to be a sacred site like Gerizim or Jerusalem, but in the spirit which Jesus would give. There's a denomination of people that say, if you're not baptized in their baptistry, and you don't take communion their communion on Sunday, every Sunday, and you have instrumental music in the worship service, you can have it in Sunday school, anywhere else, but you can't have it in the worship, you're going to hell. And they exclaim the inclusive right of that because they say we are the church of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what this woman was. She said, I'm, a, I'm from the, we worship on the Mount Gerizim, you worship on Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. Be, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to give you a spirit that's going to make you one. I'm going to tell you something. That's being fulfilled today. You say it doesn't look like with everybody scattering. God is calling out His sheep from amongst the other ones. What is promised in Ezekiel, God has cursed the false prophets, the false preachers. Soon and very soon, you will see it. But God is calling His people out. And the Bible says there's not many of them. Few ever find it. That's why He calls them. He speaks of this idea. He says you will worship God in spirit, but also John says in the fourth chapter, you will worship in truth according to the revelation which Jesus brought and embodied. We can't worship God any other way except 
through the Word. What our worship service is called is a regular principle. You say, how come you didn't do this when you started? It took me 25 years to work up the courage to Easter of last year to bring the hymn book and to start. Hadn't lost anybody over it. But if we do, it'll be sad. But we shouldn't. In the Last Supper discourse in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus spoke again of the Spirit, promising His disciples that the Helper would come after His departure who would be with them forever. Now the question is asked today, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Have you been slayed in the Spirit? All these things. I don't see this in that text. I don't see John talking about that. He identifies, in fact, John 14, 17 says this helper, Jesus says this helper that's going to be sent is the Spirit of truth. Is the Spirit of truth whose role, listen, has reference to both the internal life of the community and the witness of the community to the world. I believe, honest with all of my heart, sitting the other day at Cracker Barrel, the urge to drive all the way to Baylor to minister to a man I don't know whose mother left our church for whatever reason, I'm sure it was my fault. It was born of the Spirit. It was born of the Spirit. He refers to the internal life of the community and the witness of the community of the world. And where is this said? Look at John chapter 15. Go over there. Just look at it. I want you to see this. This is who you are. You say, I can't do this. I'm too tired. I'm too worn out. I'm too messed up. Look, you've got the most messed up pastor in the world. You're going to understand that one day. and By the time you do, you can't fire me for it. But George made sure you couldn't fire me for it anyway. Probably shouldn't have done that, but he did. John chapter 15, verse 26. Look at this. John 15, 26. It says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you will hear witness. You will, hear, you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. He doesn't say He's going to do this with signs and wonders. He says you're going to bear witness that you have been with me from the beginning. Finally, in His appearance to the disciples in the upper room following His resurrection, Jesus breathed out on His disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So let me sum it up for you. In John's fourth or in the fourth gospel of John, the Spirit, listen, write it down, the Spirit is introduced to highlight the significance of Jesus. To highlight the significance of Jesus, not highlight the significance of a minister, not highlight the significance of a denomination, not highlight the significance of a personal expression. The Spirit in the Gospel of John is introduced to highlight the significant Jesus, the significance of Jesus, one as the Spirit endowed revealer. As the Spirit endowed revealer, that yes, this is the Christ. The Spirit-endowed revealer. Number two, the one whose word is spirit and life. The one whose word is spirit and life. Jesus' words are spirit and life. Behold, 
I will be with you always until the end of the age. What a comfort. And number three, He is the inaugurator. The inaugurator of the new worship. Where God will be worshipped in spirit and in truth and the one who will send the spirit to the disciples of God who are the children of God. These dear Pideon, these little children who have overcome the world. That is how the Spirit is introduced in the fourth gospel. And the Spirit, one other thing, the Spirit is the advocate for Jesus in a hostile world. Now it has been said of, of those of us of this trade and those of us of the prayer trade and preachers that we've dug our, we've, we've put our heads in the sand and, and have decided not to be concerned with the things that are going on around us. Or, as one has said, not here, said, you're, you're so heavenly minded, you know of earthly good. Well, I wonder what you would call Jesus. Jesus could have wiped out the Roman Empire. He could have set the land free, but Jesus didn't come bring an earthly kingdom. He came to inaugurate a kingdom without end. They would have a priest, an intercessor, a king that would be forevermore for a special people that he would call his own and give to his father. Say, and now it is finished. I am your God and you will be my people. To live as as the glorified bride of Christ, glorified exactly the same as Jesus Christ, glorified exactly as heaven is in the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no shadow, no dark place. We will be the very glory of Him in the Godhead bodily, spiritually, forever. How do you know? The Spirit bears witness of the truth. The Spirit's job is not to heal you of your broken hand. In any way... These faith healers that walk with, an eye, with, with a limp or have eyeglasses, I'm particularly concerned about. The Spirit is the advocate for Jesus in a hostile world. He's the one that strengthens the disciples for their witness, and He is the one that teaches them everything and guides them in the truth. Some of you, most of you have said to me many times, I have never heard the stuff you're teaching us. Just give us the old religion. I'm going to tell you, the Spirit is the one who is teaching everything and guides us into truth. There is more than the gospel. It's living the gospel. There's one thing to possess it. There's a whole nother thing to be possessed by it. You say, where's the gospel? Genesis 1.1. Where's it in? Revelation 22. It ends with amen. Look, so that's the role of the, of the Spirit in John, our writer. But quickly, let me show you the role of the Spirit in 1 John. What does, let me show you, does He change? Listen to this. The background to the letter of John is different, from, in, is different of that than the fourth gospel. The background of the, of the gospel is the hostility. Listen, John is written in the background of the hostility of unbelieving Jews to the Christ and His followers. That's what he writes. That's why in John, the fourth gospel, he says, Jesus is God and He loves you. He's writing in 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 an inhospitable, unbelieving world that is dominated where the message is founded by Jews. And sometimes it reflects the tension between the Christian community and the local Jewish synagogue, which happened during the time of the writing. 
But the background of 1 John is like the days we live because of the hostility existing between the secessionists and those who believe and remain faithful to the message of the gospel as it was proclaimed at the beginning. I've lived this. I will live it the rest of my days where there are those who are hostile to the message I preach because they have been bewitched by another doctrine. And that's what John says here. We live in the day that is hostile to the gospel. And the thing that people are doing is saying, well, we can't share the gospel, we can't go out and share the gospel. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, it urges the readers to allow the message they heard from the beginning when they first were believers to remain in them. So you write that down. In this letter, he tells them the first thing regarding the Spirit is the message you first heard, make sure you let it remain in you. The Gospel. Then in, he talks about the criterion for doing so in for doing so, is not sinning or not sinning. It's not doing righteousness or not unrighteousness. It is simply the purpose of believing and letting the work deal deal the proper fruit. And the word that's used there for spirit is an odd word, sperma. We all know what that is, sperma. That's which brings life. And that's how it's used. So, so his, and then he says, what is significant with our per- present purpose is that it is we are the seed of God, the sperma theu, the seed of God, which renders believers, listen to me, listen to me, incapable of rebellion. That's why the study of Ruth has been providential. Naomi apparently was a follower of God. And Elimelech led her to Moab. And she was redeemed. She was restored. Why? Because those that are in Christ that have this Bermatheu, they will not finally reject. Whereas those who are the secessionists have. And they're antichrists. In John chapter 3 verses 11 through 24, The author is explaining that they may know that they have passed from death to life and that God dwells in them and that that they dwell in God and God in them. By this fact, they show godly love towards one another. I think that's a pretty good estimation of the journey church. And I think I'm most qualified to say it because I'm the one You show it the most to. And who needs it? But it is not only those who, like the author, remain faithful to the message heard from the beginning and who love to follow believers who claim this experience of the Spirit. But listen, he is saying also in here, there are those who claim to be indwelled by the Spirit and speak in the name of the Spirit, and you are to beware of them, for they do not speak what they have heard. When I went to Sunday school as a boy, that was back during the time in Southern Baptist life when they were trying to have 
all these baptisms and stuff, and so they would say, and I mean, I, I didn't, I'm not, a, I'm not a product as a, of a church, as a child. And uh, we went to the lake. And, uh, um, but when we went to Sunday school and my dad got saved and things began to change in our home, I remember them saying, there's no wrong answers in Sunday school. Yeah, there are. Why in the world, though, would you say there's no wrong answers in Sunday school? Because you don't want anybody to get upset, right? Well, now you have a whole class. All those kids have grown up. And what do they want? They want pay without work. They want a trophy that they didn't earn. They want to be whatever they want to be. You look at the LGBT community, the trans community, all of those things that are happening. They need our prayer. They don't need our condemnation. They know they're wrong. But they believe something else because somebody told them a long time ago there's no wrong answers. You know what? When I saw this the other day. I should have taken a picture of it. It was on a car at Walmart. You see everything at Walmart. Universal, Unitarian, Unitarian Universal list. Where all answers are right. Many churches act like that. They're not. I don't believe this is what the text says. What are your qualifications to say that? You say, well, then does that mean there's a difference between the pulpit and the pew? No, there's not. But what are the qualities? Did you go and study to see does the text different from what you think it says? God has, we have received the Spirit and we speak in the name of the Spirit. But listen, the people that are at the forefront of the author's thinking here are right here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in His name of His Son Jesus Christ, love one another just as He gave commandment to us. And the one who keeps His commandment abides in Him, and He in Him. We know this is that He who abides in us by the Spirit is one who gave us. You want to know what He's saying here? This is going to surprise you. What He's saying here is this. We're going to know that we're of the Spirit if we stay in love with God's bride and His church and His people. That's why I do not subscribe to the false notion that you can really be a growing Christian and not go to church. John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 says right here, the role of the Spirit is emphasized as a true witness to Jesus, something which is the prominent theme of John's gospel. He comes back around to it. The purpose of the Spirit is the true witness of Jesus, not the manifestation of gifts, not the manifestation of the things concerning the flesh of men. It is the manifestation of the one who is and is to come, the King of glory at which every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess above the earth, in the earth, below the earth, that Jesus is Lord. And it is sufficient to say once again, the Spirit's role is to witness to Jesus Christ as it is. Like the beloved disciples in John chapter 19, it is the Spirit that bears witness to the reality of Jesus' death. So here's the summation of it. In the survey of the Spirit text of 1 John, it indicates the author has, been, listen, has portrayed the role of the Spirit primarily as testimony to tradition, not a source of new revelation. 
You say, what do you mean the source of tradition? The Baptists are like going, yes, no. What do you mean the source of tradition? The message that has been faithfully handed down by the fathers and the preachers of the church. In John's gospel, the message and the role of the Spirit is to illuminate Jesus Christ and what he says in truth. In 1 John, the purpose of the Spirit is the testimony of the tradition they have had from the beginning when they heard the message and that the Spirit is not the source of new revelation. So Kenneth Copeland, when he has his revelations, I'm just going to say he's been eating too many Allsup burritos. That's not what the Spirit's for. The Spirit's to bear witness to Jesus. None of you in these moments are paying any attention to the lights above. Not a one of you looking at the lights above you. But the lights have done their job to highlight your bulletin, your notes, your Bible. That's what the Spirit does. Number three, and last of all, very simply, we overcome because God's work in us. We overcome because of God's work in us. Here it is. It's very simple. It's a very short point. I'll give you an illustration and close. True believers overcome the secessionist because God is at work in them through His Spirit. So they reject erroneous teaching. Let me tell you how that works for you. All of us are subjected to error. All of us, this church is a church with a mixture of error. There is no perfect church. There's no perfect person. There's, there's none. But we are all subject to error, especially since the airways are out there and the bookways. They're, they're books. I, I, I just, because I love some of you so much, I know you're reading, I'm just not going to say it because I, just, I just hope you'll come ask me. Because if I say it out loud, it's, it's going to make you sad, and I don't want to make you sad. But with some books you shouldn't even be reading. So let me tell you a story of how this looks. And be encouraged. Because no matter what you feel, look at me, no matter what you feel, greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. doesn't matter what you feel. You may be tired. You may be depressed. You may be low. You may be losing your brain. doesn't matter. Greater is He that's in you than He's in the world. You know why? Because the Spirit says so. And you're the children of God. So let me tell you a story about Nero as I close. You'll like this story. It's, it'll be worth sticking around. And we are going to sing that song, so don't just run out. Listen to this. Nero got tired of killing all the Christians. It got boring taking them to the Colosseum. He, had, he basically wound up getting them all killed. And then it became winter time. And they found a group of 40 believers. Everybody looking at me. Found a group of 40 believers. Well, it was too cold to go to the Colosseum. Nobody was going to draw a crowd, so he, sent, he called the captain of one of his captains of his Praetorian Guard, says, gather a battalion of troops, go find those 40, march them out into the Tiber River until they freeze to death. Offer them the opportunity to recant, to revoke their faith, build a fire, put some meat upon it, and see how many of those Christians will stick with it. So the Praetorian Guard goes, they drag, drag them out of prison, take them to the Tiber River, and there they go. They, they tell them, by sword, take all their clothes off, by sword, send them out to the river to where they began to sing. Forty Christians for the glory of God. And make up, begin to tell this, begin to sing this song. And the captain 
of the Praetorian Guard is absolutely moved by their testimony because he knows in his own conscience this is wrong. But it's either their life or his. And they're out there and they fuel this pyre and they began to put meat upon it and they lay out all of these big blankets that would cool off any one of those that would run away and they begin, they continue to sing until all of a sudden the singing stops and one of those forties begins to swim to sea begins to swim to the shore he's so cold, he's so worn out, he's so overcome oh they mock him, they laugh him but they clothe him, they feed him they begin to make him fat and jolly, they put wine in his mouth he revokes Jesus Christ and out there in the river the band that was formerly 40 is now weeping and dying and then to the surprise of the guards there something happens as someone begins to run into the water naked. It is Nero's captain of the Praetorian Guard. He strips all of his regal, sartorial grandeur, removes his weapons, goes to the middle of the river, and they break out singing, 40 soldiers of God given glory and ready to be with Him. That is what the power of the Spirit does in those whom believe. That Praetorian guard would have never believed had he not seen the gospel played out in the lives of those suffering saints that soon would dine with their master. But was it enough to listen to their song to know it is better to die with them than to live on this earth. And what moved him into the water was the spirit of truth that reveals what Jesus says is true and that reveals that no matter how hostile the world is, we can stand and die on the gospel. Amen? Would you stand?